Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. In a company, it's totally okay for uh, the, the owner to say, well, if you don't want to support our mission, I don't need to, to support you and you know, the, 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 the deal is off, so to speak, so you can be fired. You can't be fired from society. I mean, you can be exterminated, and that's what some of these uh, ruthless and, and evil leaders do, uh, saying, well, you're not a part, you, you don't, if you're not uh, committed to the transcendent goal of our race, uh, we're gonna get rid of you because you're a traitor to the people, or you're from an inferior race, and so on. And then, well, and I don't have to go into details of how much horror that has created it historically. Okay. So I believe that the, the role of a society or the mission of a society is to become a platform in which individuals can pursue their individual goals uh, and, and, and life purposes with peace and with mutual respect. And I, I emphasize this because your, your freedom ends where mine starts. So, you know, you're free to use your property and you're free to, to, to pursue your life ambition, but with some boundaries based on the need to coexist. You, you can't say, oh, to pursue my life ambition, I, I like your car, so I'm going to take it. Right. Uh, that, that, that's the dissolution of society. So there, that's what I mean by an institutional structure that um, harnesses the individual's desires for self-improvement or, or the improvement of their condition in a way that doesn't harm through coercion or, or, or aggression or violence the opportunities of other members of the society to also pursue their ambitions. And that's a, a very important structure that underlies every successful society. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and t-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part, for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Fred, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Oh, a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So I was actually introduced to you by way of your publisher, uh, who sent me a copy of your book, The Meaning Revolution, and I was really blown away by it. I, I sat down and tore through it in about two or three days. Uh, but before we get into the content of the book, I would want to start by asking you, what was the very first way that you ever made money growing up? Uh, I was a youth uh, leader. 
uh, I'm I'm Jewish, and in the Jewish community, we have a term called madrich. So I was uh, when I was 12, I started uh, working with kids that were uh, six to eight years old. Mm-hmm. And what impact did that end up having on your life, and and sort of the direction that things have gone for you? I'm still doing the same. <laughs> I mean, not, now I do it with uh, kids that are 46 to uh, 48 years old. Uh-huh. But uh, uh, but really, I feel like I'm still. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an executive coach. I'm a teacher. I'm an advisor, um, and I feel that really my life path has been. Uh, going first and trying to make all the mistakes that are possible and learning from them and paying the price so I think can ease the path of other people that don't have to learn from their own experience but they can use my sometimes wonderful sometimes terrible experiences to uh, to avoid some of the pitfalls that uh, that I found mm-hmm. so talk me through how you get from uh you know, being a youth leader to being an economist who uh, was trained at Berkeley, which we also have, we share that in common. I was a Berkeley undergrad uh, to how you get to doing leadership at LinkedIn, because that doesn't seem like a straight and narrow path. Oh no, my life has been anything but straight and narrow. Um, well, I, I, I was interested in the human, human condition and how human beings develop. Uh, because I was uh, perhaps beginning with me, uh, wondering what does it mean to to live a good life, to grow up, uh, to to be a, a healthy and I would say brilliant human being, and uh, it was it was a really interesting exploration because it kept getting deeper and deeper and deeper, and every time I thought okay, this is it, then I would say, oh, but there's more. And I ended up believing, which is my current belief, that the path is infinite, that there is no stopping point to how extraordinary and beautiful a human life can be. Uh, and also there's no, no limit to how horrible and how hellish a human life can be for oneself and to others, as you know, some of the monstrous bad leaders in history demonstrate. So um, I wanted to study something that would combine um, the, I would say, the psychological, humanistic, uh, spiritual, philosophical dimensions with um, with something more uh, precise and rigorous. I, I, I always had a good good head, so to speak, a, a, a brain that was suitable for mathematics and for abstraction and rigorous logical thinking. And it seemed, well, economics was, was an obvious thing to do. I studied originally in Argentina mm-hmm. uh, and seeing the, the disastrous way in which the economy has always been mismanaged there. I was curious, like, how, how can this be? This country has all these uh, great assets, you know, natural resources, fairly educated people, and yet it is such a mess that um, the, I would say the contradiction or the, um, the non, uh, well, in, in economics we would say, or mathematics I would say non-linearity, that the fact that you have all the components uh, that are 
very good, but then the system works very bad. Uh, what, what, what's wrong here? Um, what, where, where are we uh, breaking the chain that goes from each one of these good components to the bad system? Um, and I, I tried to understand that. I studied economics, and after five years, I didn't know anything. I didn't, I didn't feel like I could understand anything. So I went to Berkeley, and I studied economics there. And I, 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 I had to make a choice between the human part and the uh, rigorous mathematical part. And to be honest, I was a bit sick about uh, the human part because I lived through some really hard times in Argentina, uh, I lived through a, a coup and a military government and some some really hard things related to people disappearing and a lot of violence. It wasn't overt violence, but it was it was it was very frightening uh, covert violence. So I decided to just focus on the theory and do mathematics, and that's what I did. I ended up teaching at MIT. Uh, information systems and very, you know, very technical things. But I discovered that the, the real problems companies have, uh, MIT has a wonderful connection with industry. So I, I had many chances to work with companies. And the, the, the discovery was that the problems that companies have are not really technical. I mean, certainly they need a a certain amount of knowledge, uh, the technical engineering stuff, but that's not where I thought the biggest difference could be made. Um, it was it was really people not working well together. And in a sense, the, that discovery helped me also go back to the Argentinian economic situation and realize it wasn't the lack of knowledge. It was just that people didn't work well together. There was no trust. There were no... Um, no connections, no alignment in terms of uh, basic institutional rules that would allow a group of people to work together for the common good. Um, and I, I started realizing that perhaps the, the solution to the problems that have been plaguing me since my, my early studies was not in more abstract mathematical models or theories, but really understanding how human beings think and work together. And that's what I started doing. I, I quit MIT after six years. I became a consultant and I started uh, working with technically minded people on humanistic issues because my, my background and my, uh, my earlier studies gave me enough of, a, I'd say, an identity to be able to speak about love, as I say, the, the four letter word. Uh, without being immediately uh, tarred, feathered, and kicked out of the company. Uh, so that's what I've been doing for the last 30 years, and that's the path that brought me to MIT, uh, sorry, to, to LinkedIn, from MIT to LinkedIn, mm -hmm. and then from LinkedIn to Google, where I'm currently an, an advisor for leadership development. Mm. You know, what lessons from history uh, particular economic history do you think that we haven't learned that are impacting our society today? Um, I'd say there's the biggest lesson, I, I don't know if we haven't learned, but I'll say just the lesson that I had not learned and I feel that by 
learning that lesson, a lot of things became clear to me. Uh, it's, it's something that in economics is called the fallacy of composition. And the fallacy of composition would, would say that if you focus on each part and you add up the parts or you aggregate the parts in a linear way, uh, you're going to get the whole. And that is wrong, uh, at least in, in nonlinear systems like you know any system that we're interested in, and certainly an economy or a company. When you look at the individual components, you miss something very essential about the system. So the, the way I would say this uh, with, using a mathematical expression is that in order to optimize the system, in order to do the best for the system, you cannot optimize the subsystems. You have to avoid optimizing the subsystems. In fact, you have to sub-optimize the subsystems. What that means is that if you want to do the best for the team, every player has to subordinate to the team objective. You cannot have people trying to do the best for themselves because that destroys the, um, the team's ability to perform as a unit. So a, a, a good team is not necessarily made of the best individuals. A good team is made of individuals that play well together. And even though each one of them may not be at the top of the game, so to speak, the team as a whole will perform much better than other teams that may have individually better players. This is called the fallacy of composition and it applies to a lot of issues in economics. Uh, so if I look at, um, at a national economy, for example, and I, I would say if people are so self-interested and driven by their own uh, objectives, that they're willing to harm with their behavior the welfare of other people and there's no institutional structure to avoid that harm, then the economy will collapse. And I, we definitely haven't, haven't learned this lesson. I'm, I'm really uh, distressed by seeing the state of the world and each economy and how we don't have a clear system that will uh, prevent, I would say, greed. You know, greed, as opposed to Gordon Gekko's famous statement in Wall Street, greed is not good. Greed is rapacious. It's not an ambition to do well. Greed is overstepping boundaries to take advantage of other people for personal benefit. And there's always this idea that, oh, I can get a quick, I can get a quick gain and, uh, and, and, and avoid paying some price, and then I'll be better off, and, and I'm gonna sock someone else with the bill. And that is the, oh, it's the death knell of any society. Uh, I mean, I, I've seen this happen in Argentina, now we can all see it happening in slow motion in Venezuela, how it's been collapsing for several years to the point that now it's a humanitarian disaster. People are, uh, you know, refugees are exiting en masse from Venezuela, trying to go to all the other countries in South America. It's just, and, and, and why did this happen? Because 
there were promises, oh, you can get something for nothing. You, 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 the government will give you something uh, and the government will will make this out of just thin air uh, as opposed to, no, no, or we're going to take it from the rich. And, uh, and we'll, we're, it's not fair that some people have a lot and some people don't. So uh, we're going to take from the ones who have to give to the ones that don't have uh, as a matter of social justice. And, you know, I, this is not speaking about the need for justice, but the, the greed or the desire to get something for nothing and the belief that it's possible to avoid the work that it takes to produce a result and that the system will work better by having some individuals um, take advantage of others that always ends badly. Do you think that we're in danger of that happening here in the United States? Oh, I, absolutely. Um, there, there, there's so many political tensions. I, I, I hesitate to open, I, I have you know, any opinions about the United States. I'm, I'm very humble about it. It's a very complex system. I, I've been blessed to come to this country as an immigrant and, and be received with such open arms. I mean, I, my life has been really blessed by by the opportunities that I encounter in the United States. I am a, an absolute fan and lover of the core ideas that founded this nation. So I feel almost more American than if I had been born here. Uh, but at the same time, I'm still um, I'm still tentative about understanding this society and what are the stresses that that are that are beginning to fracture it. And I see more and more that there are that there are divisions in terms of political thinking that are taking people to you know, extremes in their camps. And uh, there are very few people are thinking, how do we create a system that will be just and will respect the individual rights that created this republic in a way that create prosperity and peace with mutual respect. I, I, I see that there are very few voices that in the cacophony of, uh, of political uh, um, extremism will, will call for this higher order consideration and, uh, and ask how do we all live together, not how do, how do we get or how does this party or that party get, uh, get away with some of its political agenda. So I'm seeing this. And I'm, I'm worried. I, would, I, I wouldn't say I'm frightened at this point, but I'm worried that um, I, I've seen the political tensions get to the point where they become violent. And I, you know, we have a saying in Argentina when uh, it doesn't translate too well, but it says something like, "When you get burned by hot milk, if you if you get burned by hot milk, every time you see a cow, you start crying." Uh, and you know, I gotten burned because I've been in the middle of some really bad um, political extremes uh, between terrorism and anti-terrorism and coups and disappearances and so on. So maybe I'm oversensitive or a little paranoid, but I'm beginning to uh, smell the whiffs of um, misunderstandings and, and lack of dialogue that can, well, at least in my experience, led originally to to, to some bad, very, very bad outcomes. Mm -hmm. Do you think that, what do you think the consequences for 
the species or humanity at large are for what is going on here long term? Well, I, I, it's that's a very interesting question. I would say uh, we, we are at the crossroads um, because we've gotten to a technological state in which almost anybody can exterminate everybody. <laughs> like, there's, there's just there are too many ways in which we can create harm for one another. And uh, some of these are uh, really existential risks to humanity. So if we learn how to live together in love and respect, uh, I can see an extraordinarily amazing future that unfolds before us. If we don't, um, I question whether we're going to make it or you know, it's going to be the cockroaches, the ones that, uh, that really rule the earth. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm kind of a defensive pessimist. What I mean is I try to think what's the worst thing that can happen and then act very energetically to avoid it and to make sure it doesn't happen. So I think if humanity is able, if we are all able to learn our lesson on how to coexist in peace and respect, um, it, it, I mean, this is, it's an amazing opportunity to, to grow and get to some extraordinary levels of consciousness and development and prosperity if we don't, um, uh, it doesn't look too good. Mm. Well, I, I think that makes really a perfect segue to talk about uh, the content of the book. Uh, you know, you talk about this idea of transcendent relationship uh, leadership. What is the role of transcendent leadership, not just in our companies, but in society at large? Because it seems from everything you've just told me, this extends far beyond the walls of a company. Yes. Um, the, uh, it does. And yet there's a fundamental difference between a company and society. And I think that, again, there's a fallacy of composition when people go from a company to society or humanity or you know, a, a larger group. And let me try to explain because this is, this is not in the book, but it's, it's a very, for me at least, it's a very significant difference. A company has a purpose. A company is uh, an entity that's created by human beings that get together to accomplish something they couldn't accomplish alone. So let's just say, if well, I mean, I could do it. I, I can start a company alone, but then I'll get employees or I get other engaged consultants or other resources to participate in my company to accomplish something I couldn't do alone. More, most, nat uh, most often and, and, and naturally, people will get together with co-founders and then they raise capital and they'll have investors and then the company will become, if it's successful, it may become public and then a lot of people invest in it. But th there's always a guiding idea and a mission that the company has set out for itself. In society, that is not the case. 
we we don't have a common purpose necessarily in the sense that we're trying to achieve something like a company does. So if you take, uh, I mean, say Google, for example, it, it's a company that has a, a, a purpose and products and a market and it's trying to accomplish something and it has a strategy and it has employees. And when Google hires someone, uh, Google says, look, we, we, we want your help to accomplish our mission. If you're willing to support us, we're willing to pay you, we're willing to support you in, in exchange. So there's a, a trade, so to speak, in which you give us your best effort to support our mission and we'll help you grow, we'll help you be prosperous, we'll help you support your family, you know, whatever you want. Uh, and we'll give you a good working environment so you can be happy and healthy and so on. That's the trade. Society is not like that. You're born in a society and there's no no purpose. The society doesn't have a mission. In fact, I, I'm, I'm pretty scared of the people that says a, a society has a mission. That's usually fascism or communism or uh, kind of more statist um, ideologies that will start violating the rights of the individual for the sake of the individual participating uh, in the in the society and being part of the group that's typical of fascism and Nazism um, and, and any form of, uh, as I said before, communism. So uh, the in a company, it's totally okay for uh, the, the owner to say, well, if you don't want to support our mission, I don't need to to support you and you know, the, the, the deal is off, so to speak, so you can be fired. You can't be fired from society. I mean, you can be exterminated and that's what some of these uh, ruthless and, and evil leaders do, uh, saying, well, you're not a part, you, you don't, if you're not uh, committed to the transcendent goal of a race, uh, we're going to get rid of you because you're a traitor to the people, or you're from an inferior race and so on. And then well, I don't have to go into details of how much horror that has created it historically. Okay. So I believe that the, the role of a society or the mission of a society is to become a platform in which individuals can pursue their individual goals uh, and, and, and life purposes with peace and with mutual respect. And I, I emphasize this because your, your freedom ends where mine starts. So, you know, you're free to use your property and you're free to, to, to pursue your life ambition, but with some boundaries based on the need to coexist. You, you can't say, oh, to pursue my life ambition, I, I like your car, so I'm going to take it. Right. Uh, that, that, that's the dissolution of society. So there, that's what I mean by an institutional structure that um, harnesses the individual's desires for self-improvement or, or the improvement of their condition in a way that doesn't harm uh, through uh, coercion or, or, or aggression or violence the opportunities of other members of the society to also pursue their ambitions. And that's a, a very important structure that underlies every successful society. But the success in society is the success of the individuals of society. There's no entity called society that has a purpose of its own. Every time someone 
wants to speak for the people, uh, it usually becomes a tyrant that ends up leaving a lot of dead bodies in, in its wake. So, you you say uh, in the book that the meaning revolution explores a paradigm shift from matter to meaning, from compensation, command, and control to purpose, principle, and people, from management to leadership. And I think you know, when I read the first half of the book, it seemed like you addressed what are effectively the challenges that every organization faces, which are disengagement, disinformation, uh, disorganization, and power. Uh, so. Do you mind expanding on what those challenges are and the impact that they have on a company? And then we can go into how we solve those issues. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com 
slash host. Sure. Well, I, I like to use the metaphor or an analogy I use in the book because it's very graphic. Um, the, the first challenge, uh, which I call disorganization, is uh, illustrated by the, the challenge that a soccer team would, would face if we looked at it from the individual point of view. So if you go to a defensive player and you ask any defensive player, what's your job? Well, the defensive player would say, well, to stop goals. That, that's what I get paid to do. That, that's how I'm evaluated. That's my uh, KPI or my key performance indicator. Uh, that, that's, that's what my coach asked me to do. I'm here to protect the goal. That's my job. And if you ask an offensive player, and say, my, goal, my job is to score goals. Uh, that's what I'm being evaluated on. That's what I get paid to do. That's what the coach asks me to do. And that's what I'm here for. Nobody would disagree with that. Uh, I mean, I, I challenge you and uh, your listeners to uh, go to any company or if they work in a company to ask their peers, you know, what's your job? What, 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 what do you do here? And the question will always be something specific, like um, I'm in accounting or I'm uh, a marketing manager or I, uh, I do uh, customer service uh, calls and, or I'm in sales. Okay, that's wrong. The, the challenge of every company is that all those answers, as obvious as they seem, are wrong. And you know, that the first time I thought about it, I was completely flabbergasted by realizing something so obvious was, was a mistake. Because I was sure I, I would answer the same thing. Uh, and the, the reason why this is a mistake is because in order to optimize the system, you have to sub-optimize the subsystems. The job of a defensive player is the same job as the one of an offensive player, is the same job as one of the coach, and it's the same job as one of the, uh, the one of the water boy. And the job of every person that is affiliated to the team is to help the team win. That's the only job. That's the the only reason why people are there to help the team win. Now, people may have different roles and organize themselves to help the team win most effectively, but it's, it's a putting the cart before the horse to say, um, my job is to be a defensive player. No, your job is to help the team win. You do it most often defending, but your job is to help the team win, not to defend. And you may wonder, well, why, why does this matter? What difference does this make? Well, it makes a huge difference because if you think your job is to defend when uh, you're losing 1-0 and there's five minutes to go, the coach will ask you to go and attack, to go and uh, try to help the, the offensive line score. And you're going to say, oh, no, that's not my job. I'm not here to score goals. I'm here to protect the goal. And in fact, if I go forward and I try to score another goal, um, I may get scored against in a counterattack because I'm going to leave my position unprotected by going forward. So if you really are trying to minimize the chances that you will be scored against, you should stay back 
you should not go forward and, and try to score. Uh, that, that would be a very bad strategy for the team. Because from the point of view of the team, whether you lose 1-0 or 2-0 is irrelevant. Your KPI may be affected, your bonus may be affected, because now, you know, instead of one goal against you, know, you have two goals scored against you. But the truth is, it doesn't matter, you still lose. Losing 1-0, losing 2-0 is still a loss. Whereas losing 1-0 or tying 1-1 makes a huge difference uh, to the team. So the, the, the key realization that I, that I had was most people in companies are focused on doing what they feel they get paid to do, what they believe is going to optimize their subsystem. But when you put all these optimized subsystems together, you don't get an optimized system, you get a mess. And that, that's what I call disorganization. And I, I, uh, another analogy I use is, is less funny, but it's the analogy of cancer. Because the cancerous cells are extremely successful. They're reproducing and gaining power and energy and space and nutrients and all that. And they keep growing until the body dies. Um, now, you could say the, 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 the person lost, but the cancer, it's a pyrrhic victory, but the cancer won because it became so big that it just it could be controlled by the rest of the organism. And the cancer is essentially cells that are growing out of line with the global welfare of the body. So you could say that can also happen in society when a group says we're going to take, I don't know, say a mafia group that says we're going to keep, you know, squeezing the, 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 the people in this neighborhood and we'll, we have a protection racket. We're going to take money and more and more and more money until, you know, everybody leaves or dies because they can't pay the extortion. Um, that, that doesn't mean they were not successful, but they being successful in a way that destroys the system at the end is self-defeating. And I see this happening in companies all the time, all the time. And people don't realize that they're having fights because each one of them is trying to solve for their problem. So the salesperson wants to sell more, the product person wants to be innovative, the engineering person wants to be efficient and elegant, uh, the manufacturing person wants to minimize costs, uh, you know, and, and nobody's thinking about the system. Each person is doing the best for their sub-organization, but the goal of the company is not to maximize revenue, is not to minimize cost, is not to maximize speed. It, it, the, the, the goal of the company is to fulfill its mission uh, effectively and ethically. And as long as people are not understanding that that's their job, that's the only job they have, um, it won't happen. Wow. Well, I guess the the question then that poses is, what are the solutions to all of this? I know that you talk about the role of autonomy, purpose, and mastery uh, motivation. Yes. So how do we get from where you're talking about the, the sort of toxic consequences to the ones that, that ultimately allow both the individual and the organization to thrive? Yes. Uh, great question. Well, be, before I give you the, the good answer, I'll tell you the bad answer that I spent years exploring. As I said, you know, I, my goal is to help people not go through into the cul-de-sacs that, that I've ended up finding myself. Um, you could say, well, 
why don't we compensate everybody for the success of the team? That seems like an obvious way to solve the problem. You know, if you want to optimize the system, then compensate everybody uh, through the performance of the system as a whole. In a soccer team, that would mean, well, uh, you know, if we win, everybody wins, and if we lose, uh, nobody gets bonus or something like that. Uh, in a company, um, let's just say if you have a sales force, you can tell all there's a sales commission pool, and 10% of whatever. Uh, the, everybody sells, goes into this pool, and then it's divided equally between all the people. And that makes perfect sense from a mathematical standpoint because it solves the optimization problem. The, the issue with that is that human beings are self-interested and they have private information, uh, meaning I know how hard I'm working and you, you can't tell really how hard, you can see what I do with my body, perhaps through external observation, but nobody can tell, am I thinking really hard? Am I being as creative as I can be? Am I pushing myself? Am I exploring all the options? Uh, yeah, am I being scared about things or am I being lazy about other things? You don't know. You just, nobody can know because these are internal experiences that are uh, impossible to, uh, to observe. From, ex from an external perspective. Uh, and the, the, the problem that that creates is that people become very strategic about the way they game the system. Uh, and you have the same problem, essentially, that the communist system will have, because you create a pool that you say, well, everybody's gonna get average. But you have two significant problems there. The first is that uh, average pay, as I say in the book, drives the best ones away. So if you have, you know, a superstar salesperson that's at the top end of the distribution, uh, he or she is not going to want to, uh, to to get average pay because they can get three times average pay or 10 times average pay. So if you say we pay average to all our salespeople, you're going to get the worst people because anybody that's above average is not going to want to be there. So your average is going to go down. And again, everybody's going to try to be riding the coattails of those who are better than them uh, to increase their compensation. And anybody who feels they're being taken advantage because they feel they're above the average of that organization is going to look for greener pastures. Um, that's a very bad outcome. In, in, in economics, we call that adverse selection. You're, you're selecting the worst people. And the other problem is called moral hazard. And this, you know, if there's a thousand salespeople, your impact in your compensation is one over 1,000. So you're not going to work that hard because you know that your compensation depends on how hard the other 999 people work. So then everybody ends up focusing much more on what other people do and yelling and complaining and fighting and demanding other people and claiming that they haven't been treated justly or that they work harder. Uh, than everybody else. Um, and it, you know, these, these two problems, moral hazard and adverse selection, have uh, essentially brought down the Berlin Wall um, and, uh, and also modernized China because the, the, the very communist regimes that attempted to run a society with equality realize that the price to pay for this equality is total collapse. And the same thing happens in companies. There are very few companies that will Im implement these collectivist schemes and last very long 
because these are these are not this is not because people are evil. This is just just the way humans are. If we were angels, the the, the attempt to uh, have everybody uh, contribute according to his means and take uh, and receive or collect according to his needs would be lovely. It's it's a very lofty objective for a social organization, but it just doesn't work with real human beings. Mm-hmm. And it ends up always creating um, chaos and, and violence. So how do we solve this problem? If we, if we can't do individual incentives, and we can't do collective incentives. You know what the hell do we do? This this is the this is the problem that led me to write the book. Uh, I've been struggling with this problem for thirty years. It's just it, it really seems like a no win situation. And uh, as Einstein said, you know we can't solve the problems we've created in the same level of uh, thinking that created the problem. We have to think at a higher level. And that's when I realized we, we can't address these problems just with mathematics. We can't just look for a clever incentive system. There's something else that human beings have, which are desires for transcendence, desires to have a life of meaning, a life of community and belonging, a life with love, a life with autonomy uh, to explore oneself and, and develop one's capacities. And, and all these things, you can't, you can't buy this. There's no money to pay for this. This is something that um, you, you offer as a platform for people to, to develop. You can't give people autonomy. You can't give people community. And you can't give people meaning. But you can create the conditions in which people find them, in which people can develop them together and individually. And that's the, the solution that I found. It's a set of incentives that is not monetary, but it's spiritual. You can call it that way. Understanding spirit as an uh, animating force, as, a, as something that drives people to want to do the best. Not because they're being just paid to do the best, but because it's the right thing to do, because it's ethical, because it's conducive to making for themselves a life that is relevant, that will leave a mark, that will not be forgotten. And I, I, I know, I mean, first by introspection and then by talking to many people, that ultimately our fear is that our lives won't matter, that we will just be this proverbial spark in, in eternity, a blink of an eye, and then we'll be gone and nobody will remember us and our life will have made no difference. So we all want to participate in projects that will give us a chance to avoid that very sad fate uh, and do something that will help others, that will touch others, that will improve their lives, that will leave a legacy, that will allow us to say, my life really matter and not just to me not just because i had a lot of pleasure but because i did something that was important uh, today so many of the incentive systems in companies are designed towards pleasure and what i call frivolous happiness uh, that you know and it's I, i'm not against uh, enjoying a good movie or or having a margarita at the beach uh, but ultimately that 
that doesn't really fill you up. I, I mean, it doesn't fill me up. I can have one, but by the time you have your 10th margarita at the beach, it's not enjoyable anymore. And, <laughs> uh, you know, if, when you spend a month uh, relaxing at the beach and just watching the sunset, that that was beautiful the first day, it kind of gets boring and, and you say, okay, what am I going to do? And you get restless because you know that there's something more that you were born to do than to watch sunsets and sip margaritas, uh, no matter how beautiful the landscape is. And then you want to do something. You want to make something happen because you know intrinsically that that's, that's the purpose of your life. And you are going to give your life whatever purpose is suitable to your unique signature uh, or you can call it your soul print or whatever. But there's something that you were born to do and you have to find what it is and then actually pursue it. And if you don't, you will end up miserable. So leading in a way that gives people the opportunity to realize that soul print, to, to manifest their unique signature in this world in service of others is the ultimate uh, non-monetary contract. And it's the ultimate incentive. So a leader says, look, I... I'll give you the chance to participate in this project that will not only give you financial security and you know, the material things you need to satisfy your needs, but more importantly, will give you a chance to make your life great, to, to grow in autonomy, in wisdom, in compassion, in, 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 in cooperation with others, and make something that will, will touch a lot of people now and maybe for many years to come. I don't know, when people say, I want to cure cancer, you know, that may not be the most financially rewarding career for them. Uh, but there are a lot of people that are passionate about that and would love to work in companies that uh, have that mission. And, and, you know, then you don't have to worry about these collective versus individual incentives because people are so committed to the mission that brings them together that um, they won't prey upon each other. They won't uh, be opportunistic in taking advantage of an uh, incentive system because they feel identified. It's part of them. They have in internalized the mission of the group to make it a mission of their own. And that's the ultimate solution. And that's what, I, well, what I'm trying to advocate with the book, uh, leadership or transcendent leadership is this kind of invitation that gets people fired up um, to, you know, with this sacred fire, and they they want to collaborate, they want to participate in a project that's beautiful and ethical because it's in service of the rest. That's what I like about the the market system uh, because it's an opt out and or opt in system. You, you you better develop products that make other people's lives better because if not, people won't buy them. Of course, you can tweak the system. You can you can prey upon people's uh, vulnerabilities with vices and and, and and substances that are addictive or, or uh, advertisement that fools them into making decisions that ultimately they'll regret. That that's that's one of the dangers of any system. But at best. When people are in organizations that are mindful, that are um, willing to improve other people's lives, then it's just the most beautiful endeavor that I can imagine. 
Wow. So I have two final questions for you. I know we've got about 10 minutes left here. Um, you talk about this idea of conscious capitalism, and I had to ask about that because you know, on the one side you have conscious capitalism, and then you have things you know that people like Noam Chomsky are talking about, the fact that when you have such inequality in a society, the systemic consequences are catastrophic. How do those two things coexist? Well, I would say, I, I, I don't disagree with Chomsky. So let me start there. I do believe that with certain levels of inequality, things become catastrophic. The question is what system is best to avoid this, um, I would say, extreme inequality? And how, how much inequality is still acceptable within a system? Um, I personally don't, don't, don't want to focus on inequality. I want to focus on ethics and morality. Because, um, I mean, maybe I'm naive, but I, 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 I believe absolutely that when, when people abide by very basic ethical rules of interaction, there's a natural level of inequality that ensues that has to do with the inequality of our nature. Like, I, I mean, I don't know if I, if I take it to basketball, for example, you know, I will never be able to play at an equality level with a professional NBA player. There's just no way. I don't have the equipment. Uh, or in singing, I can't sing like Freddie Mercury or Barbara Streisand. I, I mean, I just, I'll never do it, no matter how much I try. And if I say, oh, but there's a certain, we, we all have, we have to be equal. Now, why should they have the opportunity to perform in these big venues and not me and so on? That That's just wrong. I mean, I, it's, 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 it's envy, it's uh, jealousy, it's... Um, it's, it's the greed for the unearned. You know, I don't deserve it. And just the same, I mean, I know it's a little hotter, but if I go into academic realms, I, I sometimes when I, I tell my students, if you, we're going to do a, a great redistribution scheme. So uh, it, there's, it would be catastrophic that some students get A's and some students fail. That's terrible. You know, that's not fair. Uh, we all need to... Uh, focus on, on creating, uh, diminishing the inequality. So we're going to take, uh, you know, whatever, we're going to take the average, and then everybody's going to be graded at average. And the students that did better in the test are going to uh, be taxed, and the points of these students will be given to the ones that, that did worse. So that way we don't have this terrible difference between the best students and the worst performing students. And of course, the, 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 there's an uproar, and the students, I mean, they start complaining and uh, in, a, in a joking manner because they know I'm not serious about it. I couldn't do something like this. Um, and I think in society, there's something similar about wh what is the ethical principles through which we want to reduce the inequalities, but in a way that uh, still respect the natural differences in, in talents and also in effort. Some people want to you know, give themselves to a certain task, uh, and some people don't. Some some people want to work less or want to work, uh, uh, you know, in, in, in something that brings more joy to their heart. So measuring these 
only economically seems rather poor to me. What, what I'm against is violence. What I'm against is force applied to pursue some allegedly ultimate goal that will justify the abuse of the individuals and uh, doing things to them that uh, ultimately destroy them. So I think, like Adam Smith, that when every individual pursues their own interest in a legitimate way that guarantees the coexistence, the pacific, the peaceful coexistence in society, then that will bring the best outcome with the minimum reasonable or natural level of inequality in society. Um, another, another question that with which I challenge my students is to say, imagine that you could double the income of everybody today in the United States, just double the income of everybody in, in real terms, no, not just uh, inflation, but real doubling of income. Would you take that? And, and of course, most people, I think, be uncontroversial to say yes. I mean, why would we not want everybody to be better off? But that would significantly decrease the uh, or the, the, the index, of, uh, meaning make it more unequal. It would it would it would double the level of inequality depending on how you measure it. And you say, well, if you're focused on inequality, then you should not accept this. You you would want the poor to remain as poor as they are instead of doubling their income just because you don't want the rich to have twice as much. And I say, that, why, why do you care? I mean, why, why does that matter to you? Let the rich be rich, okay. I mean, I mean, of course, if they earned or they, they made their money in unfair way or criminal ways, of course I'm against it. But I'm against it because it's ethical uh, to, to not to condemn these people for what they've done, not because they're rich. If someone is rich and they became rich legitimately, through choice and through uh, contributing to the lives of others, what do I care if they have all the money in the world? The, the more, the better. I mean, I, I don't. It doesn't matter to me. I'd like everybody to have a good life. Um, so, the the conscious capitalism idea is: if if you can do this unconsciously, as Adam Smith said, uh, just let everybody pursue their own self-interest in a, uh, as I said, in a legitimate way. Uh, and then society will be better. How much better society could be if people wanting to help, wanted to help others on purpose, consciously, not being unconscious capitalists, but being conscious. So, uh, I mean, when, when Larry and Sergey uh, founded Google, they, uh, they had this great principle, is first do no evil. And it, it, it's really powerful to say, we are, we're here to organize the world's information to make people more productive, or you know, if you look, look at LinkedIn's uh, mission, I, I mean, I, I have the honor of being friends with Reid Hoffman, and, and just incredibly inspiring mission to to connect the world professionals to make them more productive and successful. I feel proud to do that, it, and not just because we make money with that, but I feel proud both LinkedIn and Google. I feel proud to be part of organizations that are helping people live better lives and making the world more, uh, I don't know, friendly uh, or, or more connected, more, more open, more available, more resourceful. That, that's, that's conscious. In addition to the money we make and in addition to the compensation I get as an employee of these companies, I feel I'm getting a huge payoff 
or a huge uh, extra bonus for being a member in a project that it's just, well, it certainly is leaving a mark in humanity. Well, I think that makes a really fitting end to our conversation. So I want to ask you one last question, which is how we finish all of our interviews with the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Unmistakable. Tell me, tell me more about unmistakable. Unmistakable, like they would not be mistaken with someone by, with, with someone else, or they would be not ever making a mistake. I think the, uh, the, the former rather than the latter. That's actually yeah. how I define it. Yeah, unmistakable meaning people will know you are you and, <clears throat> yeah. and you would be unique, differentiated. Exactly. I think what what makes each one of us unmistakable is that we are a unique uh, I, I, I hesitate, but um, probably this is my truth because I hesitate to say it. It's a little too out there, but, but I'll say it. it's it's that we are each one of us is a facet of an infinitely faceted diamond. You can call it consciousness. You can call it what is. You can call it the universe. You can call it life, or you can call it God, whatever word you want to use, or it or that which is. It's an infinitely faceted diamond. And each one of us is a unique expression of that. So everybody's unmistakable in, its, in his or her essence. The question is translating that unmistakable individual divine essence into a manifestation in this reality, into a life well lived, into a true following of what the Indian tradition calls your dharma, which is your duty, your truth, your, your essence, your expression. So what makes someone unmistakable in my view is that they have recognized themselves as a true and unique expression of the dharma of the of the s of the divine infinite energy and then they live their life accordingly to express it mm. well i think that makes a really beautiful end to our conversation where can people find out more about you your work in the book uh well uh, the, the book is called the mini revolution and you can find it in amazon i, I think that's uh, the, the obvious place to learn more about it but uh my i i am in on linkedin uh, Fred Kaufman, K-O-F-M-A-N, and I put there a whole, like a hundred short videos of five minutes or so with the course that I created for LinkedIn on leadership, and it's freely available to everybody. There are summaries of the book and all sorts of things. So if people just go to my profile and, and look for uh, the publications that I put there in LinkedIn, it's the easiest way to find me. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.